Hi, I'm Maddie, and I don't have a hobby. Hi, I'm Haley, and I have too many hobbies. And I've taken it upon myself to get Maddie hooked on just about anything. In this podcast, we're talking true crime. We're talking Enneagram. We're talking mental health. We're talking Scientology. And just about everything in between. So we're inviting you on a journey that you definitely didn't ask to be invited on. In the hopes that you too would like to be Average, average girls Average and only Average and only yeah. Hello! We are back in action Hello. on the podcast. I was listening to a new podcast today because I've been traveling for work mm-hmm. and I laughed because in their first few episodes they were trying to do the info, well, the intro, um, like in unison, and they kept screwing up and they're laughing about it. And then by like the fourth or fifth episode, they had it down. Meanwhile, yeah. we've been doing this for mm-hmm. over a year and we still suck. So, right. granted, we don't necessarily say the same thing at the beginning of every podcast like you know, they do, but I feel like if we actually had a system, we'd be good. We just never created a system. Should we? What, like, what kind of, what was their intro? Their intro is just like, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I'm so-and-so, and this is blah, 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 blah. Oh, we could do that easy, but I don't want to do that. So that's, yeah, okay. I guess the takeaway is that we didn't want to yeah. them. <laughs> we're just bad at the intro in general. No, I think we're good at everything we've ever done. That's the difference between you and I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Overconfident and a little unsure. <laughs> Overconfident and just plain... Because I'm not. I was going to say insecurity, but that felt intense. Well, I'm not insecure. I just don't give a rip. Whatever. I'm just kidding. Okay. We have a guest with us today. (laughs) She's making a grand entrance. She makes an entrance with every creaky door that we have in this house, which in a historic home is all of them. Nuh-uh. All of our doors make a noise. For a second, I was like, we don't have any doors besides the pantry, but we do. You we do. We absolutely do. Well, if you can't tell by the sound of her beautiful voice, it is Emerson. Hey, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast and you are having a child, you're not allowed to just name it Emerson just because you want to. Thank you. Someone no. finally said it. I'm going to call this girl. I'm not going to say her name. Okay. But this girl from my high school, if you're listening, you know who you are. She quite literally named her baby my entire name, first and middle name. And we weren't friends in high school. She had a baby like one year after she graduated and I was the senior in high school. My entire name. Entire name. Took it all. And Emerson has, well, can we say your middle name? Do you care? care. Her name's Emerson Brielle. It's not like her name is Madison Madison Marie. Yeah, okay, like if it were a normal. Sarah Lee is bred. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's not like a basic name. Like Madison Marie is very common. Like if someone stole that, I couldn't be like, Oh my gosh, they named them after me. But But like, like, yeah, Emerson Brielle. Emerson Brielle's too unique to not have. Yeah. Yeah. You got that from you. When she announced it, my entire high school sent me this screenshot off Facebook and was like, she stole not only your first name, but also your middle name. Yeah. Yeah, So I just had to say that, but we do have Emerson here today again, mostly because she lives here, but also because we love her. Um, And we asked her to do the hot take because... She's great at them. So, Emerson, what do you have for us? So, I feel like we've visited this before. We've done this, I believe, but we're bringing it back. Um, But this time it's a little different. So, I went to the Social Security website and (laughs) looked up the list of top 1,000 baby names. And you can actually look them up per year starting from 1880. 
So wow. we're going to go through some old baby names and you guys can pick. Okay. Some of them are god awful. So you're going to pick just, I guess, the lesser of two evils. Okay. I will I will say this is like a pastime of mine now that we're all at the age where our friends of ours are having babies. Mm-hmm. Where I... Sorry, the chair. <laughs> I love critiquing other people's baby names. I like live for the name reveal just to be like, oh, that's ugly. God See, awful. I like am afraid of doing that to other people, but I can't help but not evaluate it. Well, you have to. Like, I'm thinking that's your kid's name for their whole life. Yeah, I know. I just I think that like in the future, I'm gonna pick a name and I'm just gonna know someone out there hates it. And yeah. I'm just like, oh, this is being sent around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's fine. Just like I don't know, don't name I'm fine sending it. it around, but I also like think about <laughs> how the mom knows that like this is definitely like yeah, not a super it, popular name. If they didn't love it, then they shouldn't name their baby that and permanently mark them with that name. Stop staining your baby. No, I agree. <laughs> Some baby names are just horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Oh. <laughs> I'm thinking crying. of one in particular. We all are. And it's devastating. Okay, yeah. Emerson, hit us. Um, okay, so we're going to start out pretty normal. And some of these are people that I follow on Instagram. For example, I'll start with one that I follow on Instagram. This woman named her babies. You have to pick one for, she has seven boys. Cosmo or Rufus? Cosmo. I am, really? I am not naming that kid Rufus. Isn't that the rat in Kim Possible? Yeah, Naked is. Mole Rat is Cosmo Rufus. Rufus. Okay, true. I think, I I think I'm choosing now. Rufus because the next generation has no idea what Kim Possible is. It's it, not, regardless, Rufus is ugly. It's not tied to a naked mole rat, though. Rufus is the the dad on Gossip Girl. I didn't think his name was, like, that god-awful. When oh, I, I did. I mean, I don't like it. Actually, Cosmo might be cooler. Yeah. You can spin Cosmo to be like, if you're, Mo, cool, if you're a cool Cosmo. Pretty privileged. Yes, exactly. Uh, you're right. You have a totally. weird kid named Cosmo, and no one is. I can. I'm thinking of a girl from high school right now who had a weird name and was so weird, and she forever is marked as weird. No, if she would have been cool. I would have been like, oh yeah, that girl with the cool name. Like, yeah, it's no, true. it's true. It's like true. if you would have been cooler, Emerson would be an awesome name. <sighs> I knew but, that was coming. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That's my mom. That's true. Okay, so I'm going Cosmo. I I try to stick up for Rufus, but I think Cosmos like has more potential. Because here's the thing, pretty privileged cool. with the name Rufus. There could be a cool gossip girl dad Rufus. You could have the dweebiest effing kid named Rufus. That's true. Yeah, but that's yeah, kind of cute in its own way. No. It's cute if they're like six and they have glasses. It's not cute if they're like 15 in the high school and life's really hard. For I them. just, Rufus is a dog's name. <laughs> no, lame. Rufus is a dog's Rufus name. Rufus is a dog's name. Okay. More than Cosmo and Cosmo is a dog's name. Can I ask what year you were at? No, this? that was the oh, Instagram. No, this was the Instagram. Oh, sorry. I thought. She, she named her baby. She doesn't live in the U.S., so I feel like that. Like, changes things. And it changes things. And also, I don't feel so bad because probably no one on Instagram follows her. Okay. okay. Next. I'll tell her her face. Felix or where did it go? Milton. Oh. Felix or Felix. Milton? Felix. Felix feels like strong, but if your kid's like a wimpy, dweeby little skinny boy, 
That feels so sad. <laughs> We're just like shit talking a bunch of kids that don't exist. I I, you guys have like a serious problem with like nerdy kids. I love nerdy kids. No, okay, so then why are you guys like crapping on? Because them. I don't want to give them a, a name that adds unnecessarily to their dork. I want them to choose to be think, a dork. I don't think Felix is that bad. I don't Milton think it's that bad. is not good. I was gonna say I think Felix sounds like a, I think of like a cat. A cat. I think of. Is, is there a famous cat named Felix or something? Probably. I'm not a cat person. I don't so know. I feel I don't like there remember. is. I don't know. I almost want to go Milton. That's weird. <laughs> Milton feels like mildew to me. Milton right, feels like he has no shot at being normal. But like, what do you, how do you make Felix better? You don't. It's oh. just a better name than Milton. Okay. Like, right. Honestly, I'm, I'm kind of here for it. Okay. Next. We'll go Felix. Okay, so these are the popular names. This is from the Social Security Administration. Okay. These are the popular names in the 1880s, so I'm just going to go through the list, and you've just got to pick one. Oh, no. These are for boys. You're either going Charles or George. Charles. Charles. Okay. Frank or Joseph? Joseph. Joseph. <gasps> really? Frank. Oh, I'm but like Frankie. Frankie. I'm like, no, Frankie. Yeah. I kind of like Frankie. No. Yeah, if, I'd, I'd rather have a Frankie. I'd rather have a Joe or a Joey. No, Frankie. Or a Joseph. I know too many Joey's and Joseph's. I don't like Joey as much as I like Joe. I don't want a four-year-old named Joe. I kind of. It sounds like kind of funny. He should own the car shop. You yeah, call him Joey. and you put him in like outfits that make him look old. You put him in a He's overalls just, like, all the time. Wait, Joey baby. Joseph. <laughs> At one point, oh. he was a four-year-old little Joe. Yeah, yeah but he was kind of cute, little Joe. That's true. We're all talking over. Each other. I don't know. Okay, nice. Okay, Lewis or Clarence? Oh, that Ooh. is bad. Uh, I don't care for either. Lewis. Lewis. I guess Lewis too. Oh, we can't just say that's bad. We know people named Lewis. I don't care. I don't like your name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You don't have to like my name. You could be I like, yeah, Madison's true. basic. Cool. And I'd be like, yeah. Yeah. Not I didn't pick it. <laughs> Alfred or Herbert? Um, Alfred. <laughs> Herbert? <laughs> what is it? Herbert what's, what's makes for me- short. Herbie. <laughs> Her- Fully loaded. Her- <laughs> that was Kirby, wasn't it? No, it's Herbie. <laughs> I think Alfred. No, that's <laughs> No, I'm doing Alfred because it's like Alfie. That's not cute. No, it's kind of cute. I mean, I don't love it. I, but if I see Herbert, Herbert sounds like sure. Her, I would always want to go Herbert Sherbert. <laughs> Herbert Sherbert. <laughs> Ew. Yeah, I guess I'm going Alfred. I don't know why. I guess, would you why would Freddy? I always want to do that? <laughs> no, that's what I thought as well. Herbert Sherbert. I think it's Sherbert. I think because when I'm thinking Herbert, all of it sounds like this doesn't make sense. It sounds like a lisp. All, it, this doesn't make sense, but it sounds like the whole word is a box, and my <laughs> mouth doesn't move that much. Herbert. Time for dinner, Herbert <laughs> Sherbert. <laughs> Alfred, Wait, done. Is that the, oh, okay. Yeah. No, no, no. We're saying, no. Like, is that the one you're going with? Alfred and call him, call him Fred. Freddy. Oh, Alfred. Yeah. Okay. So sucks. Don't love it, but it's horrible. All right. <laughs> Sounds like a ginger. Screw that kid. Nothing guy. against gingers. Horace? Horace. Or no. Chester. 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 Yeah. Horace. Okay, Chesty. <laughs> I did not mean to say that. Chester or Archie? Archie. Archie. Oh, Archie's kind of cute. Archie's kind of cute. Why do I kind of like that? Chester. I'm not naming a baby. Chester the molester Ew. is all I think. Oh, Ooh, I did no, not think of yeah, that. That can't be. 
Dan or Jerry? Dan. <laughs> Jerry? <laughs> yeah. They're both like, Horrible. I feel like neither one of them matters to me because they're both equally as bad. There's yeah. never been a baby named Dan, right? <laughs> there has. Baby Dan. Do they call him Jerry? That? I have an Uncle Dan. Do you guys have an Uncle Dan? I have an Uncle Dan. Well, he's dead, but. So you had an Uncle Dan? Yeah, rest in peace. R.A.P. Oh. Uncle Dan. Yeah, he was great. Loved him. Go. Next. So sweet. Okay, we're switching to girls. <laughs> so sweet. Girls in the 1880s. Uh, Minnie mm. or Ida? Ida. Like I'm going I, whenever I worked at a um, assisted living place, there was a mini and an Ida, and they were both so old. Um, Ida. My great aunt's name. I'd be afraid of the jokes the that come with Ida. Idaho. No. Oh. What? I don't know. Just like what you can play there? off so many things. Like I don't know. I'm only thinking of inappropriate things. Yeah. Oh, you don't say inappropriate. Things. Ida love you. Oh, no, but I you don't can know. spin off anything. You could say Ida anything you. Oh, I didn't think of that, I guess. Oh, I mean, I don't know, Minnie. I don't know. <laughs> I know, I still like Ida. Yeah, Minnie's kind of weird. Um, Bertha mm-hmm. or Florence? Florence. Florence. Baby Flo. Yeah. Sounds like your first period. Ah, uh, baby Flo. <laughs> Just a small one. <laughs> baby <laughs> Flo. Clara or Ella? Ella. Uh, yeah. Ella. I'm going to Ella too. Um, Mabel or Edith? Mabel. Edith. And I'm, the, I'm calling her like Edie or something. I'm just going to call her May. My great grandma's name is Mabel. Mabel. Was Mabel. She's dead. Okay. Oh, let's move on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hmm. Jesse apparently is a girl's name. Yeah. 1980s. Oh, wait, Jesse's a girl's name. Jesse's a girl. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. Rumor has it. Apparently. I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. All of these are very girly. Jesse's Myrtle girl. or Pearl? Pearl. Pearl. I think of moaning Myrtle, Myrtle from too. Harry Potter. Myrtle just sounds like... Bleak. Can you give us, like, two more? Yes. Agnes. Okay. Or Della. 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 I'm going Della too. Agnes, what? No, Agnes is bad. Agnes is bad. Um, these are all more normal. Elsie or Georgia? Oh, uh, Georgia. I'm going Georgia as well. Elsie. Elsie's fine, but it's like not as cute. I think Georgia could actually be cute, like yeah, modern. We'll do a kicker for the last, the last one here. Okay. Theodosia? Mm-hmm. Or Theodosia. Such a good song. Hold on. I'm looking Thank for one that like <laughs> Or Josephine. Theodosia. Theodosia. Call yeah, her Theo. Every time. Yeah. Every time. We love Theodosia. Did you guys know that Theodosia? Um, what's Aaron Burr's actual daughter, like real life daughter, went missing? What? Mm-hmm. That's After sad. that, she was on a, some sort of ship, and she went missing, and they don't know if she went overboard or she was killed. Oh, my gosh. She was never found again. No. It's on, there's an episode on oh. um, the podcast Gone. Wow. That I listened That's to, but it was a while ago, sad. so I don't remember. Aaron Bird did not deserve that. Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Bird did Bird. deserve that. Okay, but no one deserves that. Their daughter is C. Haley. Okay. Well, I'm, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, but I, I think don't it's know. kind of a dick. Hitler oh. deserves... His daughter His, doesn't deserve that. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, Hitler's daughter probably would have deserved that. 
You think? She probably wasn't that nice. No, but do you remember how the mom was like... No, she wasn't. Hitler's mom was like, we don't want them to live in a world like suffering the consequences. No, I know what you're talking about. That was this right-hand man's wife. Oh. You're talking about Goebbels. Yeah, the Goebbels. Goebbels. Good job, memory. Never mind. Well... The Goebbels didn't deserve that. The Goebbels didn't. I wonder though. if um, Hitler's daughters were also racist. I actually just read or just listened to a podcast today. Oh, it was my favorite murder. Um, they did the story of a woman whose name I totally forget. Nope, don't remember. Is it Lisa Goebbels? Lisa? I don't think so. Anyway, I think Lisa Goebbels continue. is a woman we know. <laughs> I'm okay. Wait, really sure. my favorite murder. The my favorite murder episode. It was about this woman who, like, she wasn't Jewish, but she got. Uh, I think it ended up being like twenty five hundred um, Jewish kids out of the ghettos and like saved all these kids. And they were talking about all the ways that she did it and like snuck in and how she was like tortured and all of this stuff. And oh. she still like never gave up where the kids were, and like worked her whole life to get them all back. And I was. I'm not like a crier at podcasts, really. Like I, I don't know. Oof, I am. I was in my car, just driving and crying. My whole body had goosebumps to the point I felt like I had. For, it was for so long that I felt like I drank pre workout, but I didn't. <laughs> like I was just, I was itchy and freaking out. It was I so was good to a podcast today in the car because I've been like driving and traveling for work and stuff. So I have like a couple hour drives every day, and today I was listening to a girl. And she was talking, she's an actress, and she was talking about how um, prior to, like, really taking care of her mental health, she would use negative self-talk as a way to, like, complete the scene. Like, to get her to cry or emote, she would, like, talk bad to herself. Like, you suck, you're not going to do this right, like, whatever. And she would, like, cry for the scene because she's, like, literally just talking down to herself and then she started going to therapy and her therapist suggested maybe you try like the whole flip side of it and try gratitude and see if you like emote similarly like you get the job done but you're like not beating yourself up yeah and so she was with a director that she like really trusted and she was like okay i'm gonna try something different if it doesn't like land well or like the scene it looks weird or whatever like just stop me and i'll go back to my other way but she said she just like stopped and she looked around and she was like wow i'm here i'm grateful that this is my job i'm looking at the person holding the camera and I'm thankful for Shelly holding the camera. I'm thankful for and just was like naming like everybody in the room in her head. Mm-hmm. And that like had the same response. Like she did the scene just as beautifully and good, but she wasn't like talking negatively to herself. She was like Aww. having or practicing gratitude and it like moved her just as much, which I thought was so cool. Oh, that is very But sweet. I was in the car. What? This is a one podcast? Yeah, I was in the car like listening to it and I was listening to her like recall all these people that were in the room and like talk about how thankful she was for them and I was like so teary like driving to Orlando like I gotta freaking present to high school kids in like 30 minutes like I can't cry but I like definitely well I'm a crier in general but like I usually don't cry in podcasts but I just was like kind of teary Oh, that's so sad. It was sweet. No, that is sweet. At least yours was for a good reason. Mine was for Nazis, but 
Well, well, it was also for a good reason. Yeah, I was going to say. At the end, it ended up being, like, sweet. But, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of very sad. What was the one? Oh, there was one part. Um, the woman who, like, ended up saving all the kids, her dad, I guess. I forget what disease it was. I want to say it was, like, tuberculosis or something. I guess they refused to treat tuberculosis in um like jewish people whenever like the very beginning of like before the war started and they were in poland i think and she her dad ended up contracting the disease from like the patients because he was like one of the only people that would work and like help them yeah so he ended up contracting it and he died and on his deathbed he told her um that there are oh shoot what did how did he say it? it was something like um there's good and there's bad people in the world and there's going to be um, good and bad across any religion or race or creed. And I think most people are good. Oh, and those were his, like, dying oh, words to her. Yeah. And he, and he said, if there's someone drowning, even if you don't know how to swim, you go and you save them. Mm-hmm. And so she went and she saved more kids. Than, you know the movie Schindler's List? Yeah. That's, like, about this guy that saved all those kids from yeah. World War II. He um, saved less kids than her, and nobody knew about her until, like, 1999. Oh, wow. And she saved, like, 2,500 kids. Like, she would take them from the ghettos. She would go to the parents and be like, listen, your kids are going to go to Treblinka, like, next week and be murdered. Or you can just give them to me. And they're like, okay, can you guarantee my kids are going to get out? And she'd be like, no. She's like, I cannot promise you that they're going to get out, but I promise you that if they stay one more week, they're absolutely going to die. And so you had to like choose to give up your kids right then and there, and know you were never going to see them again. Is terrifying. Isn't that horrifying? No, <laughs> I can't think about it. Like I think about my niece and nephew who aren't even my children, and I'm like, I'm. Not, I, you have to be so selfless to be a parent. Oh my god. But I think as a parent, most of them probably didn't really like bat an eye. They were probably like, "Yep, I have to." And I mean, like, right? It's just survival at that point. Yeah, it's like you. Your reality is so scary. You're willing to just like give them over to a stranger who like says that they have their kid's best interests, but like, how do you even know that? But you just know your reality is even darker. Yeah, and there's no hope for you, but there might be hope for your kid. Yeah, that's so. So this is really upbeat. I hope you guys will see this on the way to work. Um... Yikes. What are we talking about today? Well, it's not getting much better. Oh, okay. I'll tell you right now, it's really That's not. what I was afraid of. Um, this guy... The, okay. <laughs> What's his name? He goes by a lot of names. Oh. But he's mostly known and became famous because he is known as the killer clown. Oh. He's John Wayne Gacy. Oh. So have you ever heard of John Wayne Gacy before? From you, yes. <laughs> From me? Okay. So this is particularly upsetting. Um, Here's the thing. There's a lot of, like serial killers that don't genuinely scare me. Like, I mean, if I were to, like, meet them, yeah, I'd probably be scared. But, like, I, I think you're decent. No, I am. No, that's what I'm saying. Because every episode terrifies me. But this one is actually genuinely, like, strikes fear in you. Yes. Um, it may be because he's a clown. That might be part of it. It adds to it, for sure. Um, but this one I also was scared to do because this one, for some reason, I think it just makes me, I mean, granted, this isn't to say not all murder makes me sad. I'm not a fan of any of it. But this one, he's the murderer of 33 young boys and young men, oh. um, 26 of whom were found buried under his home. Uh, ew. Which we'll get into because the actual story is even somehow worse than that portrays it. So um, if you have you ever heard of the podcast Serial Killers? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, Podcast is like my favorite like podcast network. 
you know, aside from ours. Um, well, our network. <laughs> yeah, we have a whole network, it's, but it's just us. So. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so they have, like, a ParCast is the what network. What is it called? Par? ParCast. Par- P-A-R. Okay. And they have a bunch of different, like, kinds, but they also, they really go into the psychology, which I love because I want to, like, pick at that part. It's, like, my favorite part. So, um, the story takes place. Cook County, Illinois. Um, John Wayne Gacy grows up with his mom, whom he's really close with, two younger sisters, who he's also close to, and then their father. I'm sure you can imagine where this story is headed. Yeah. The father is an alcoholic. He's physically abusive towards their mother and towards the kids. Um, he often went to the basement to drink after work. That was, like, what he did every day. He would beat them with a razor strap, which I don't know what a razor strap is, but it doesn't sound great. A razor strap? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I'm looking that up. Oh, wait a minute. I have an explanation. What? Uh, it looks like a belt, but it has a metal clasp on the end with a hook. What is that? So, probably not the best thing to so be like hit with. So, like, a literal torture device? Yes. Um, his sister later reported that after a while, she realized that John didn't cry whenever he was beaten by their father. Uh, apparently he was particularly hard on John who had a heart condition. So he was unable to play sports or run around with the kids at recess. So he was overweight mm-hmm. and like hit one of his favorite pastimes was cooking with his mom. So oh, he was just like a chunky little so kid. Sweet. And I guess his dad constantly berated him and told him he was fat. Um, and then things get worse whenever he realizes as he's getting older that he's attracted to boys. And so he hides this because his father also, um, who calls him a failure all the time, he knows this is like more ammo for his dad. Mm. So he's like, oh, I can never say anything about the fact that I'm attracted to boys because he, I'll, he'll be disappointed with me. So um, it's around age 11 when he is hit in the head with a swing that caused swelling in his brain. He begins suffering from blackouts that go undiagnosed for five years. He doesn't tell anybody. Oh. And we all know about that frontal lobe trauma. Yes. Not awesome. Yeah. So he's alienated from others as a kid um, and from his father. His father also mocks his son for being gay in front of others because he's suspicious about the fact that he doesn't talk about girls and he doesn't be interested in girls at all. Uh, and so this further makes John repress his sexuality and loathes any, like, sexual feelings he has. Like, mm. he's disgusted by himself. Mm. He also reports that he was previously molested by a family friend as a kid several times, but he was afraid that his father would beat him for it, so he never said anything. Oh, my gosh. I know. Poor kid. He was going through it. Um, don't worry. You won't feel bad for him later on. So he graduates high school. He moves to Nevada where he works um, as a, or he works for a mortician as a custodian. Ugh. Um, so this is where things start to get weird. Yep. <laughs> I mean, just a kid who got hit in the head, who's gay, <laughs> whose dad hates him and beats him in the basement and is an alcoholic. And then you throw dead bodies in a basement that he cleans. Like that's just a recipe for serial killer. No, I think it sounds fine. So, um, okay. He <clears throat> begins sleeping there sometimes. Uh, because he's I thought you were going to say sleeping with well, the hmm. long breath. He gets into necrophilia that Inc- quickly. Re- Hold on. Uh, not that quick if you let me tell the damn story. Uh, Increasingly fascinated by the bodies. He admits to once climbing into the casket to lay with one of the dead bodies no, just to get uh, nice and close. No. <laughs> I wish you guys could no. see the, the hand gesture that he just made, like, Cut the shit. It's like making my skin crawl. Imagine you're in Mm-mm. a morgue. Is that what it is? Well, what's it called? A mortician's in- house? <laughs> a funeral home? Yeah. 
Okay, Mortician's but- house. <laughs> I was thinking of like uh, my girl. Oh, okay. Because it's like a house. Yeah. But it's like, it's they not used a to morgue there. down there. It's just in a the basement. Home. It is. It, it's technically a morgue. Uh, sometimes I think some places are still set up morgue in the basement funeral home on top, but that's still that might not that might be out of date. I mean, are they housing multiple dead people or are they just housing the one that I they're think. showing? Oh, okay, I don't know. Anyway, I mean, I don't will. think they're picking them up. Oh, well, they, have they to, are the hearse has to come with a trip full of them. My town that I grew up in is really small, and the Bolting House funeral home was like the only funeral home. It's like five minutes from my house. And um, I had a couple of people who like went to my church who were about 10 years older than me. And they were best friends with the Bolting House's daughter. And she always had her birthday party, but their house <gasps> is connected to Mm-mm. the funeral home. It's like one big home. And yeah, they have like multiple dead bodies. The morgue was everybody now. Happy birthday, little Susie. That sounds yeah. terrible. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, think about going into the basement and there, you know, there's a dead body. And I get it. You're curious. You want to look at it. Like, it, yeah, it would definitely I like, I would be curious to see, like, oh, this is a dead body. As gruesome right. as that is, I get the curiosity there. But then being like, oh, so I'm going to lay with it. <laughs> there's a lot of cur- things I'm curious about that I don't want to lay with. A hundred percent. Like, I don't need to be that up close. No. I, uh, <laughs> thinking about laying next to something that's not alive is actually so scary. I'm horrified. So, apparently, you know who wasn't? John. Yeah, clearly. So, this may have been when it began for Gacy to become intimate with the bodies. Not even always in a sexual manner. He's interested in working with them, being at their burials, being very close to the dead. Probably not a great sign for someone with frontal lobe trauma, but (laughs) I digress. After this, he returns home to Chicago. He goes to business college there, and he graduates in 1963. Did I say the year at any point during any of this? I don't know. I don't think so. So now we're in the 60s. He gets a job with a shoe company where he is relocated to Springfield, Illinois. He's promoted to manager. He gets engaged to a woman whose name is Marilyn Myers. He joins the Junior Chamber of Commerce around this time, too, and they're called the JCs, you know, the girls' Jesus JCs. Christ. Jesus Christ. Um, it's dedicated to leadership and to business skills. This comes back around at one point. So he rises up the ranks and is known for being really, really dedicated. He has his first gay experience with a coworker after he gives head to another member. He's a married man, but he's like, you know what? I'm just going to try this it's, one out It's time size. to finally try it. So he realizes, though, that he likes it and that he wants something more. But he just can't figure out what more means. Hmm. And I guess a normal person would say more maybe. I don't know. Sex? A relationship? I don't know. To marry a man? But he he doesn't go that natural course, as right. you can imagine. So right. we'll get back there. So he gets married to Marilyn, and they move to Iowa, where Marilyn's father owns a few KFC restaurants in Waterloo. And you know what they say about those KFC restaurants. I love KFC. What's wrong with them? Nothing. I just was being an asshole, but I didn't know you loved KFC. Super good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I like KFC. One time my mom and I went to the movies when I was little. I feel like this is like a weird core memory of like when I thought my mom was really cool one time. Uh, She (laughs) snuck a whole kid's laptop. You know how they had the kids like being folded up? And it's like this huge square and it has all these little spots for the food. And then there's like a game on the top. Yeah. 
as a kid's laptop. She snuck a whole kid's laptop into the movie. The theater. whole damn thing. I don't know how she <laughs> did it. It was like a magic trick to me. You're like, how and the I hell did she do that? The movie theater and with a kid's KFC laptop on my lap. <laughs> I bet no one smelled that. No one smelled my <laughs> my mac and cheese and my my popcorn chicken. <laughs> That's cute. Aw, you just thought she was the best. I thought she was so cool. You were like, could I do cannot that. believe she did that. Like, She's so ballsy, that woman. Meanwhile, it was probably just a theater that like allowed outside food. Yeah, <laughs> she just she just put her finger to her lips and she put it in like, her purse. Don't sell anyone. That was it. <laughs> so, believe it or not, John Wayne Gacy's the one who served you that child's laptop. And oh. he gets the manager position at Great. Hammerson's <laughs> doubled over in the kitchen laughing. It wasn't that funny. I'm just laughing because I just see Emerson's back shaking. <laughs> okay. <sighs> So he decides that whenever he moves to Iowa, that he's going to get involved in their um, JC's chamber there. So, yeah, all is fine in the world. But the Waterloo JC's, they're a different breed, let me tell you. So he <clears throat> finds out that apparently their parties are really excuses to get sex workers um, and like throw these major parties instead of like fundraising events. They're like throwing some real bangers. So, um, his parties are known to be wild but really effective because he's, like, one of the leading members. They do a lot of swinging, and eventually they start making porns. So, again, this guy's clearly on a on a great path here. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not how he typically functions in his day-to-day life. He's, like, very normal guy. So he begins to learn that he can live in two different worlds completely separately, and they don't have to mm. intermingle, which he loves because he could do the two things that he loves and have them separate. Mm-hmm. So his man- management position is going really well, and he jokingly has his customers call him the colonel. What? Oh, yeah. KFC reference. Yeah. I get it. Uh, I get it. Sorry. So Sorry. business is booming all is well. August 1967, John Wayne Gacy lures the son of a fellow JC member into his basement for the first time. Mm-hmm. Donald Voorhees is 15 and is told that he could come over and get drunk with him. Um, and so whenever he's there, he, like, shows him porn to be cool. Like, okay, look at all this. Gets him drunk. And that's when Gacy forces him to perform oral sex on him. He threatens him, um, and Donald tells no one for months until he finally decides to crack. Well, I guess doesn't decide to crack. He cracks. Um, and for months during this time, before he tells anybody, Gacy has been trying to do the same thing with young boys who he employed at KFC. Oh, gosh. Um, he would lure them into the basement, and he would try to talk them into sexual favors with blackmail. And for a while, that helps his urges. Um, he later would describe his victims as worthless little queers and punks. Wow. When asked about his own sexuality, he would dodge the question by discussing how successful he was in the community and how basically all of these kids were like pieces of crap anyway. So why did anyone care? Oh, so gosh. they talk. We'll talk a little more about it like towards the end. But basically, the um, podcast I was one of the podcasts I was listening to because I listened to a couple was talking about how he was like displacing his own yeah. self loathing. On, yes. Yeah. Onto all these other kids to say like, yeah, but they wanted it and I didn't want it. But and in reality, worthless little. That's so awful. Yeah. Um. So, <clears throat> the FBI interviewer and psychiatrist Helen Morrison interviews him for six hundred hours after his arrest. Um. Six hundred hours. Uh-huh. Wow. Yep. Yeah. 
And she said the same thing where she said that it seemed like he wanted to kill the parts of himself that he hated, therefore finding victims that reminded him of himself, which would be young, gay, teenage boys. Yeah. So finally, in March, Donald Voorhees tells his dad about the assault. Like I said, his dad calls the police and Gacy is arrested and charged with criminal sodomy. Gacy denies the charges, demands a polygraph, which he fails. (laughs) So kind of (laughs) embarrassing. Shot himself in the foot there. Exactly. He says that it's all political, but then he tries to hire someone to intimidate the Voorhees family. Oh, gosh. Then he's also caught in that, and then he gets an additional charge on top of the sodomy charge for trying to exploit the situation. (laughs) So, um, the judge demands a psychiatric evaluation be completed, and then over the course of 17 days, he is interviewed. He's diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. Um, They said that he experiences a disregard for morality, cruel indifference, and no empathy. During this, he um, admits to it being sexual, his encounter with the young, what is his name, Daniel Voorhees? I only know last name. Yeah. Daniel Voorhees. Donald Voorhees. The Donald. (laughs) What did did you think, Daniel? I thought Daniel. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Um, He says, yeah, we definitely did have sex, but it was consensual. The jury doesn't buy it. He's convicted December 3rd of 1968, and his wife promptly divorces him, and he never sees his family again. Oh, wow. So, don't worry. We're not at the end of the story, oh. in case you gathered. Okay. Um, so, in prison, he develops a um, reputation as a model prisoner. He is part of the JC organization in jail, because God forbid he just let it go. What's he, the JC organization? It's that one that he was, that was where he was like doing the sex parties and all of that stuff too. But it's the, it's supposed to be like a fundraising, like oh, gotcha. leadership business skills situation. Mm-hmm. Um, he becomes friends with the guards and the inmates. He's known to be really social, cool, all that good stuff. But while he's in prison, his father dies. And he insists for years after that, that he believes that it was his fault for his father's death because he believes that he caused him so much shame that it killed him. Um, so two parole hearings later, it's 18 months of his 10-year sentence. He Ten is released. Years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. He returns to live with his mother and was supposed to report to the Iowa Board of Parole, but an oversight flies over um, flies over the radar. Under the radar. I have over the radar right now. <laughs> Under the radar. Um, and in February 1971, Gacy is charged with a sexual assault of a young boy. He says that Gacy picked him up at a Greyhound bus stop in Chicago and tried to rape him, but the charges are dropped because the kid didn't show up in court, and they think that Gacy probably intimidated him, and somehow this entire thing never got reported to the Iowa board. So he appeared to be like he had this glowing reputation, but really this whole thing never got put into the system somehow. And and honestly, if that one thing would have changed, like the rest of the story would be completely different. Mm Mm-hmm. So his parole ends in 1971. He buys a house in Chicago and shortly thereafter is engaged uh, to a childhood friend named Carol Goff, who already has two daughters. So they move in together. She's aware of the prison sentence, but she thinks that it wasn't his fault. Oh, yeah. So here we are. Um, and I mean, he sounds like he was probably a pretty convincing guy. So I'm yep. sure she probably just like fell for As it. As they are. As they are. You know, those psychopaths. <laughs> um, so he starts a construction business. And he volunteers the Democratic Precinct in Chicago. He's super involved. He's put on charities. And he throws all these parties for fundraisers. He's a people person. He, like, starts his life over. Again, really well-known in the community. And so he starts hiring teenage boys, stating that they come cheaper. And so over the next few years, several teens come forward to accuse Gacy of sexual assault. Mm. 
Yeah. Love it. He manipulates the boys who claims that they were trying to get back at him for not paying them for crappy work. And so that's like, he's still building this reputation as like this upstanding citizen saying like, oh yeah, these boys are like making all these claims because they might've known about my previous history in jail and they're trying to exploit me for money even though they didn't do their work, essentially. Uh, um, so January 2nd, 1972, 16-year-old Timothy McCoy misses his bus transfer in Chicago. The next bus is 10 hours away, but a car pulls up, luckily, and the driver offers to show him Chicago instead of waiting at the station. Uh, of course, the driver, uh, Don Gacy. He takes him around the city, offers him a bed to sleep in at his house because his wife and kids are out of town that weekend. Gacy makes him dinner, the two go to sleep, and then according to Gacy, he wakes up to Tim standing over him brandishing a knife. So there's a struggle. Gacy manages to gain control of the knife, and he stabs Timothy multiple times in the chest. Gacy said that he went downstairs and found that breakfast was made, and he realizes then that Timothy had wanted to make them breakfast and had brought the knife upstairs by accident. And so when he woke up and opened his eyes and there was a guy, a boy holding a knife, he flipped out, and they had the struggle, and he stabbed him not realizing that he had just come up to serve him breakfast. Uh, yeah, that definitely sounds like that happened. Uh -huh. So, but we do know that Timothy is stabbed, but we don't know the details now. So the next confirmed death happens in January of 1974, which is two years later. He either had a dormant period of two years or he managed to pick very, very vulnerable victims. Yeah. Um, there's a boy that later is unidentified in the uh, other boys from like around this time too. So in 1975 though, life changes a lot for him. His professional life is thriving. He's working really long hours. He also tells his wife that he is no longer going to be sleeping with her. Oh. As one does in the middle of their marriage. Nice. Um, <laughs> What'd you write? <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> what? Wait. <laughs> I hate you. It, I think it was supposed to say he would have sex with men, but it just it does just say he would have sex with me. <laughs> so <laughs> I read it as like he wouldn't have sex with his wife, but he'd have sex. With <laughs> no, I, I could I could change his mind. Ew. Okay, you wrote it, so whatever. He says that he would agree to um, have sex with men, but not with her. So Carol sees him bringing in teenage boys into the garage, mm -mm. and she sees gay porn around their house. He, um, she becomes estranged from him, and eventually they get divorced. Go figure. Got to. Crazy. Um, so now he doesn't have any witnesses in the house, so it kind of works out for John. So um, he then begins to become the killer clown whenever he – I was just going to ask mm -hmm. when the clown – We're here. Don't worry. Drops in. He starts to dress up as Pogo the Clown for parties at the Democratic Precinct. He prefers them to look sinister. So apparently clowns are actually supposed to have mostly circles on their like faces and their clothes because apparently it looks less abrasive. Um, what? So like that's like a thing. All clowns are going to have circles unless they're supposed to be like evil clowns, in which case they're going to have like diamonds or lines or like more aggressive, abrasive looking things. So he prefers, of course, to get all of his in diamonds. Um, he entertains at the hospital. He sometimes dresses up with friends at bars as Pogo the Clown is like, haha, like, I don't know. Mm -mm. A haha grown man dressing up as a clown uh -huh. for fun. Ha -ha. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, in 1975, his business is booming. He hires more teenage boys. He starts to invite some of the kids over that he hires for get togethers where he'd dress up as Pogo the Clown. Like, they'd get drunk. He'd dress up as Pogo the Clown, show them porn. Like, that sounds like a real party. Um, 
Yikes. He would lure them with what he calls the handcuff trick. He would convince them that the handcuffs were a part of the clown performance, like he was going to get them out of the handcuffs. Um, and then he would manage to link the other handcuff onto them. And he would then rape and torture them until he Gosh. would kill them with a rope and a stick, making like a tourniquet. Um, and he would later refer to it as his handcuff and rope trick. Um, he would also call the kids degenerates or runaways, um, insinuating that he didn't do anything wrong. Uh, and they think that this, like, psychologically was because he thought he was better than them. He's an upstanding citizen. Um, and so looking back on it after the fact, he calls these next few years his cruising years where he's able to kill and do whatever he wants. And it was easy peasy. His life was great. He would drive around Chicago offering uh, vulnerable young men weed or alcohol. Uh, and that's when he started burying bodies in the crawl space under his house. Ugh. Uh, so gross. To the point that they are layered three bodies deep. No. Yes, and covering the entire bottom crawl space of his. I mean, 33 <laughs> is a lot. Like, that's a lot of bodies. That makes me want to bark. It's worse. Um, July 29th, 1975, a 17-year-old employee of John Wayne Gacy's, his name is John Butkovich, disappears. I know, not an awesome name. Yeah, he yes. has been complaining about how John Wayne Gacy had withheld two weeks of pay from him. So after he goes missing, the police ask him about it, um, John Wayne Gacy, and he agrees that they did have a disagreement about his pay, but that they had worked out the previous day, so it wasn't an issue anymore. Police um, try to say that he's a runaway, but uh, his parents keep the pressure on him, and they say, like, John Wayne Gacy has something to do with it. We know something is up. They don't have any evidence to continue investigating him, though. Uh, but there was another close call around the same time. So December of 1976, Gregory Godsink disappeared after telling his parents that he, his new job um, with John Wayne Gacy's contracting company um, included digging in the crawl space of John Wayne Gacy's house to work on the piping. Later, he is found buried in that exact space, potentially mm -hmm. after unwittingly digging his own grave. Ew. Like he dug it to like help the piping and then he was killed and put in that exact spot that he just dug. Uh, Isn't that horrifying? Uh, uh, that's horrifying. I know. I was actually like, that part gave me like full body because yeah, I was no, grossed I... out. So by 1978, at this rate, his crawl space becomes entirely full. He considers storing them in the attic, but he's concerned about fluid leaking into the house. Mm, mm -mm. Um, he manages to, and I don't know where I put this in here, but he is... Um, putting something that I have oh lime he's putting quick lime all over the bodies to mask the smell so people are like "Ooh, it smells terrible down here and he's like yeah it's my sewage pipe is broken I'm getting it fixed and it's leaky bodies it's leaky bodies Ooh, the term leaky bodies <laughs> is a lot for me um so he decides after his crawl space is full that he is going to dump them in the river and in the Cook County Bridge the last five victims are, are disposed of that way. His house is starting to smell worse and worse, which is adding to the suspicion to the point where neighbors are like, dude, that guy's house smells. Yeah. Now, here is what gets Gacy caught. So we have to backpedal to 1975, which is what ends up getting him caught. Oh. So the handcuff and rope trick. In July 1975, he goes to visit one of his 15-year-old employees, Anthony Antonucci, at his house. Um. He gave him alcohol, where, and then, then shortly after that, he attacked him. Gacy left one of the cuffs too loose, however, and that's when Antonucci was able to wiggle his way out. And when he did, he managed to slap the other handcuff onto Gacy because he was a wrestler. Oh. So in the struggle, he was, like, the first person to ever, like, kind of Trap pull one him. over on him. Yeah. Whoa. Gacy flips out, and he's eventually able to calm him down and 
talks Antonucci out of turning him in, tries to make it seem like, oh my gosh, it was just a joke, blah, 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 blah. He unhandcuffs him and he just goes home. He just leaves. <laughs> he most like likely casual. threatened him with public shame of manipulation or threats of violence. And so he thought that he was going to be quiet about the whole thing. Hmm. <clears throat> um, David Cram, another employee of, of his, lived with Gacy in 1976 to help with odd jobs, including digging extra room in the crawl space. Um, one night he was dressed as Pogo the Clown and had tricked oh, Cram into the handcuffs. Graham thought it was a joke, but when he told Gacy to let him go, Gacy dropped his jovial attitude and started growling at him. Excuse me? Can you imagine? You think you're, like, joking around with someone? <laughs> I feel like it wasn't that, like, friendly. Like, yeah, that's very Imagine a terrifying clown man. No, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a hit. How, how do you growl? I feel like it'd be, like, more guttural. <laughs> no, that's, like, a, a roar. You need, like, a like a low, like, a growl. Like, your chest is going to quiver. Uh, I think that's the closest we're gonna get. All right, so you we just try. Show we me. know that growling isn't your thing. Ugh. No, <laughs> you can't even see what Maddie looks like right now. I, what's a growl like? Emerson, like a, like a oh, like oh, oh, no, really <laughs> not that. <laughs> you literally did. You did like a Perry the platypus noise, which is the opposite like, of what I did. I did like a it's Yorkie. Like a, it's like a. <laughs> oh, like a, I'm trying to do it without laughing. There you go. There you go. Well, yeah, but I'm thinking it's more menacing. I know. I'm laughing. Okay. But but he was in the yard. Within, I'm picturing it in the yard. No, they're in this basement. Oh, in the basement. And he's like. Yeah. Well, hurts my the throat. air that you just blew in my wrist was so cold. <laughs> <laughs> that was, we came a long way from. <laughs> <laughs> We came along for like this is a Wait, journey like from like it's a journey Wait, I like, asked to be on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but how do we get here? Okay. He then starts threatening to rape him. Cram is sorry, that was a really big jump. <laughs> like it was like a lot of Perry the platypus growling. So something very serious. Okay. Starts threatening to rape him. Cram is confused because he feels like he's talking to an entirely different person. Cram then fights him off, but he doesn't report it. In fact, he keeps living there. What? After the man growled at him? <laughs> that was the problem, Maddie. That's what you got. I mean, thinking about a human growling at me in full seriousness is very weird. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but I guess it's not like the icing on the cake. I mean, the it's like the tip of the iceberg that he it growled. Is, yeah. I think the fact that he's growling at you while he has you in handcuffs and he's in a clown suit kind of like does the whole picture for me. Right. So, um, he said he didn't have anywhere else to go, though. So after a second rape attempt, though, he does move out of the house. He's like, yeah, two times too many. Got to go. Yeah. So last but not least. Wait, why did I say that we had to go back to 1975? We're now in 1978. I don't know. Ignore everything I said. Okay. This whole thing didn't happen. I made this whole story up. <laughs> May 22nd. How twisted. May 22nd, 1978. 26-year-old Jeffrey Rignald is coerced into John Wayne Gacy's car, where he is then chloroformed until he is in and out of consciousness. When he comes to, he is strapped to a wooden board. Um, trigger warning, this is upsetting. Gacy explained what he was going to do to him. He then raped him, drugged him, and tortured him for hours while he's strapped to the wooden board. He woke up in Lincoln Park, having been dumped there. He staggers to his girlfriend's apartment, who takes him to the hospital. 
Um, and he's there for six days where he reports everything. Oh so he must have been gosh. like really, really why injured. I mean, this is dark, but this, I mean, the whole story is dark, but why wouldn't he just kill him? I don't know. Point? Like, why would he let him live to tell that story? You'd think it would come back to you. It might be like a power thing. And I'm thinking because it's been, it's 1978. It's been years. I mean, and he's already like a killer. Like, yeah. why would he spare him? Well, I'm wondering, A, he was running out of spaces to put the bodies for one. <laughs> Literally. He's like mid-torture and he's like, wait a minute. Where am I going to put you? I got to ease up on this and just make it last like five hours because I don't have any space. Literally. I'm not, well, partially that really might have been a reason. And I'm That's thinking so messed it up. could be overconfidence I mean, at that point. It's 1978. He's been doing this for so many years. He just thinks he's going to get away with yeah. it anyway. Yeah. And I think now it's like, okay, now everybody's going to know that there's some evil man and they're not going to think it's me. And now I want everyone to be afraid of me because they, you know. I don't Gosh, know. So it's horrible, all of it. So here's the thing, though. So he reports everything to the police. Don't get too excited. The police decide that they're skeptical of the story because it sounds too ridiculous. So they don't file a police report. You don't just get to decide Mm-mm. that like the story's not believable enough. Mm-mm. No, they literally can't. Like, you can file a police report for saying the sky is blue. They just won't do it, like because it's a lot of paperwork for them. <laughs> so why would you not? File a report, even if it, like, I'm sorry, suck up the paperwork, buddy. Yeah. I mean, this guy obviously was hospitalized for two days, right? Mm-hmm. Six. Like, oh, six days. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. you just don't do anything about it? You just think, like, oh, something happened and he's too, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to say the real story, so he fed us this bullcrap. Yep, apparently. Yep. So, in Jerry Rignall's report, I'm sorry, Jeffrey Rignall's report, he also claims that there was another man present. Gacy was out of town when some of his confirmed victims went missing, so there could have been an accomplice, potentially. (laughs) Potentially. Potentially. You were right the first time. No, I wasn't. I'm kidding. Oh, my God. I was like, no, that's still not right. I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience. (laughs) Um, Gacy would go on to claim that other people were involved, though he refused to elaborate but granted, he was also appealing for the death penalty, <clears throat> so it might not have been true. He might have been trying to, like, elongate his sentence yeah. versus – so no one really knows if there potentially could have been a second man there or if he was just really in and out of consciousness and was, like, imagining it. No one knows for sure. So that's three escapees. Okay, that, maybe that's why I said that that's why. There's three different people that ended up escaping him out of all the victims, and there are several missing young men from the company, so, like, close enough to him. And, like, if there's missing people in your town that are all getting – like, there's four or five of them even that are all missing from the same place. Like, yeah. chances are we got you didn't cover your tracks very well. There are reports from neighbors about John Wayne Gacy and John Butkovich's parents called into the police station after their son went missing with suspicions over 100 times. So crime is running rampant in 1970s Chicago. So this went unnoticed up until this point. That is until December 1978. So Robert Piest – I'm not sure. <laughs> it could be pious, but I think it is pious. We guys, we can't laugh at the victim's name. I'm not. I know. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Robert, 15. He goes to work at Nesson's Pharmacy. It's December 11th. Um, a man walks into the pharmacy and starts making conversation with Robert and his supervisor. It's casual. He's talking about how he also hires teens, but he pays in way higher wages. Then he leaves the store. He comes back later to retrieve a lost appointment book that he says he left. 
he just so happens to talk to Robert about a job opening in his company. He seems like a young enough kid. Hey, I hire for really good work, really good pay, whatever. Robert's mother pulls up to drive him home, and he comes outside. He asks her to wait while he talks to the man. He goes out to the back of the pharmacy with John Wayne Gacy, and that's where he's never seen again. Oh, Isn't that so sad? Yeah. Like, it was so close. Um, his mom comes back into the store when he hasn't come back to the car, and she realizes that her son is nowhere to be found. She says that her son had come to the door and told her the man's name. He was going to talk to this man, John Wayne Gacy. Mm. So <clears throat> she gives him, she gives that name to the police the next morning whenever her son still doesn't come home. The police go and talk to John the next day and ask him to come to the station. And he shows up hours after the appointment covered in mud. John Wayne. He talks with officers casually for hours. He's really talkative. They also are looking into his background while he's there. So he's just like chatting up with them and they're like going like on a deep dive. Interesting. And they see that his track record is longer than they thought that it was. But what they needed was evidence. So they stake out his house the next day. They had a car constantly on him and a car at his house. They searched the house with a warrant eventually and were told that the smell was sewage. They found possible blood spots, trinkets from potential victims that <clears throat> were trophies, and his torture board. That was sitting in the downstairs. Ugh. But they didn't know that 33 bodies were under their feet the entire time. Ew. Yep. That is so haunting. What they needed, though, was proof of Robert's disappearance. So anything else they found that didn't belong to Robert specifically could be deemed inadmissible in court. So they couldn't, like, tamper with any of it or take oh. any of it. Because even if it was like, oh, yeah, we found this thing that definitely belonged to another victim, it's it's not for that case. Oh. So police are realizing so that rules. they have something much bigger on their hands than just Robert's disappearance. Mm -hmm. So he starts to stress about police presence and is aware that they are onto him. <clears throat> Michael Rossi comes back into the story here where he contacts the police out of the blue and informs them of two other suspicious disappearances um, at PDM, which is his um, company, uh, contractors that worked for him. This is how the police were able to put it together that this was likely a serial murder, which they had, mm -hmm. weren't able to put together before because these are all really vulnerable kids. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> David Krim and Michael Rossi are both interviewed. And both admit that they had been asked by Gacy to dig trenches in the crawl space. He told them about the lime that they had to put it over to hide the smell of sewage. He also made strange comments to them, including clowns can get away with murder. <clears throat> Gacy tried to file a civil suit against the police department for harassment. But that at this point, he starts drinking a lot and eventually drives over to his lawyer's office um, one day with a photo of Robert and says that this boy is dead and in a river. He just kind of like caves. The lawyer and John Wayne Gacy go to the police department where he gives a verbal confession to all 33 murders. What? Uh-huh. Eventually it was like too bad. So December 22nd, 1978, he undergoes over 300 hours of psychological evaluation. He tries to convince the interviewers that he has multiple personalities and schizophrenia, which he obviously doesn't have. That all would have been obvious way before this. Mm. Like it's not something you can hide. So um, that was obviously they are professionals. I mean, that was not a thing. So <clears throat> the jury sentences him on March 13th, 1980 to the death penalty for 12 murders brought forth by the prosecution. He spends 14 years on death row and in prison. He would often flip flop on his claims of the crime and he would sometimes include accomplices. He would sometimes, sometimes deny all of it. <clears throat> like he would just change his mind all the time. Um, it was probably an attention seeking thing. So, yeah. Something interesting about his psychologies, though, is that they think that he was, like we said, projecting his internalized self-loathing, took it out on gay teenagers, 
Um, he would create these narratives of these boys that they were runaways and reported that they were drifters. And he believed this. He was incapable of seeing their lives as something different from what he thought they were or what he had pre-categorized them to be. A lot of them weren't drifters or weren't runaways. They were like kids that were working. Some of them were, but some of them weren't that at all. But he like put them in in his head. Like they weren't, they don't think he was lying and trying to say that. They think he was just like believing his own Mm -hmm. narrative of it. Yeah. Um, he also stayed obsessed with Pogo while he was in prison, and he would paint the clowns and sell them to other prisoners and all Weird. this weird stuff. Joseph Roth, a man in Chicago, bought 21 of them just to burn them, which he did in front of a cheering crowd. Oh, um, interesting. They think that he may have killed more victims than the 33 that were buried under his house. He could have taken his killing spree on the road as his job involved traveling with no accountability, so they don't mm. even know where he was to be able to track it. Um, this is my favorite part of the whole thing. Okay. 1258 AM, May 10th, 1994. He is confirmed dead by lethal injection. His last meal was KFC. And his last words, kiss my ass. No way. Swear to God. Why? Why go out like that? Well, I feel like he needed to go out a little bit different. Everybody else is going out with like a prayer or an I'm so sorry or... You know, may God forgive me. He wanted to go straight to the point. Kiss my ass. Yeah, he really didn't care. Yeah. I always wonder, like, I, I, like, I know he's not the victim in the situation, but, like, I feel like we're, people aren't raising serial killers as often anymore. Well, I, I don't even think it's that necessarily. I think that the confidence of a type of person that would be a serial killer is, like, they just have more of an understanding that our technology is better. Mm-hmm. I think that's p- probably also a fair point. But I do think parents are more responsible now and like, yeah, more I think concerned in certain demographics, their... they are certain, certain ones they aren't. But yeah. I think for the most part, like people can't get away with like punching their kid in the face as often anymore. Yeah, you're right. That's true. But like in the sixties, like nobody cared if you punched your kid in the face. Y- yeah. It right. was like, I'm going to medicate my kid as a form of babysitting and we're just going to call it a day. And now like you get in trouble for that. Right. Yeah. There's like repercussions. You know, exactly. So I don't know. It's just crazy that, this is people raise serial killers. Yeah, it is weird. I always do think of like the parents. Yeah. Like, so that's Joe Wigisi, which is the one that I think is terrifying. No, it is. Yeah, not a big fan of him. You made me yawn. Sorry. No, not a big fan of him. He's terrifying. He's awful. It was my air conditioning. Oh, I was like, <laughs> what is that? And after every podcast like this, I'm always like hyper aware of my surroundings. Really? Oh my gosh, are you kidding? Yes. I, I go out to your out to my car in your backyard and like freak out every time. I'm so sorry. It's fine. But am I sorry enough to stop? No. no you're not. So that is the killer clown, John Wayne Gacy. And for all of that, I do want to say to all of you listeners out there, kiss my ass. Oh my gosh. Is this where we say goodbye? This is where we say... Wait, what would be your last words if you were on death row? On death row? Probably. I didn't do it. That's what your last words would be? Well, if I didn't do it and I'm not planning on killing anyone or ending up on death row. That's what you would say? Yeah. I didn't do it. Think about it. Then whenever I'm proved innocent way later, they're going to be like, wow, that's the saddest last words I've ever heard. (laughs) I don't know what mine would be. Are you planning on being on death row? No, for a I'm just reason? saying the hypothetical. I'm going along with it as well. I don't, I don't know what I would say. I mean, I would obviously be innocent too, but I don't think I would <laughs> go out saying like I'm innocent. 
Really? Yeah. Maybe I would like tell somebody I love them. Yeah, I think I would do that. What you think you're better than me? Do you get <laughs> do you get like a couple sentences? Yeah. Oh. I mean you don't get like a minute. Yeah. But you can say like a couple things. I would say something to my family. And that <clears throat> maybe I'd throw in that like this is not right because I didn't do it. I'd throw in a little, little sprinkle of my innocence. And also, this is not right. <laughs> and you guys should reconsider right now. <laughs> I just want to ask you guys if you thought about this. I wonder if there's been any really good, like, salesmen out there that are on death row. I mean, maybe not salesmen. But I mean, like, personality style that, like, has mm-hmm. really tried to sway. All of them. Really? I feel like all of them at that point are, like... Well, a lot of them tried know. to do stays of execution at the very last second. I mean, Ted Bundy tried to do a stay of execution at the very last second. What is that again? It's like at the very last second, they try to like appeal to the governor or like like you can get a, a stay of execution. You have to get it straight from the governor's office. So you have to like get in contact personally with the governor and like with the Present it board. to them. Yeah. And be like a lot of times people do it and say like I have more evidence or I'll tell you where a body is or I'll tell you about another person to get and a stay works, of execution. To buy time? Sometimes. Huh. It'll buy them time and then they'll like try to get, you know, give them more information or mm, interesting, whatever. Yeah. Well, all of that to say, I'm not planning on being on death row, but have I planned on my death row meal several times? Yes. Yeah. But also I want to hear other people's last words. Um, it's actually really interesting. I've looked at it before. No, like our followers. Like I want to hear. What oh, other people's. I was, I was like, wait, I can tell no, you. No, no. I want to hear like. I, I am curious, like, what other people have said, but I want to hear, like, what, like, our circle of people would say. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll put up a little poll. Yeah. Okay. Well, looking forward to reading that. Not looking forward to walking to my car. Mm, <laughs> as I can imagine. Um, everybody, I would like to repeat my previous sentiment. Kiss my ass. Oh, gosh. Aboriginal.